of the fundamental things that I like to talk about is what it means to be on the same page. We've talked about some fantastic examples of people getting on the same page and making a difference because of it. How do you define getting people on the same page in the work you do? I think the definition for me is the destination. Where are we headed? What are we trying to accomplish? You know, I'm a, I'm a big reader. And I'm a big reader of business books. Napoleon Hill's Think and Grow Rich is one of my all-time favorites. I don't think they use the term laser focus, but to me, it's being laser focused on the result and, and, and specifically pinpointing not, well, I want to get better. I want, to, I, want, I want the position, I want the company to do better. That's, that's not vague, a pinpointed yeah. result. Yeah. yeah, it's very vague. How, how do we specifically yeah. identify exactly what we want to accomplish? And that, to me, is, is the starting spot. Somebody to define exactly where we need to go. Yeah. Now, the, the, the path in getting there can then be debated and discussed. Yeah. But it is very clear we, we need somebody to, to show some managerial courage and say, we're going to take this to a different destination than where we are today. And, um, and, and across the big organization, how people get there will vary. It, it will because people are naturally going to look at it from their point of view. Yeah. And, and maybe those things that are important to them, either because of their, them being rewarded a certain way right. or just flat out just being part of their day-to-day -day job responsibilities, everybody's going to look at it with, uh, through a different lens. And so to me, it's, it's focusing all the lenses in one spot. <laughs> That's a laser. So what did you see in the psychology of people when they, from, from, again, from the shop floor to men and women in the office, analysts and secretary up to executive positions, what did you see when that vision was, the goal was clear. There were some measures that wasn't vague. that was specific, like, like smart goals, right? Um, right. Specific, measurable, etc. Sometimes those are daunting and can make somebody kind of pull back and go whoa i can i don't even can we do it can i help with that i don't even know what did you see with the psychology of it especially if like you said before there was a small win and then you get a little bit of a light bulb or a little dawning of hey maybe this is possible and then did you see an ambitious goal did you see an ambitious vision draw people in yes well, i'm, I'm going to use my current organization this is a very successful recycling company. We recycle batteries, car batteries and industrial batteries. The first thing it did was, was separate them into their three main components of lead-bearing material, sulfuric acid, and plastic. The lead-bearing material gets broken apart. It gets melted. It gets treated it gets cleaned we add the chemicals to it and take it to a specification that the customer is looking for and we ship it back to them that was the primary business but then the offshoot became well how do how do we recycle this plastic mm -hmm. and and as a result became one of the world's largest recycling plastic recycling companies. no kidding it yeah, was a, it was a it was a throwaway before and now yeah, I mean, they were putting it in a landfill to the point where, you know, they're digging out the landfill and pulling the old plastic out of it because that's, that's a free that... raw material, you know? <laughs> wow. And, and, and sulfuric acid can get neutralized to water 
and you can use that water in your in your processes. Well, that that mentality. Yeah, that's a good word. Help, yeah, helped helped us a number of years ago because the ambient air levels for lead went from 1.5 units to 0.15 units, so a 10 factor reduction around the plant. Uh, yes, but the, the EPA de- de- decreed um, these new ambient air levels. So we, basically, we had to make a tenfold reduction. Okay. We knew we were not going to be able to do that incrementally. Our our yeah. existing bag houses and technology was not going to allow that to happen. So the decision was made to build a scrubber, uh, basically a large scrubber that, you know, its sole purpose was to take, you know, SO2 out of the atmosphere. And a lot of people just mixed it with different types of material and would consolidate that material and put it into a landfill. Our, our folks asked the question, how, how do we make it commercially viable? Yeah. So we mixed it with anhydrous ammonia, made ammonium sulfate that we now sell as fertilizer. And that helped us to offset the cost. So not only did we comply mm-hmm. with the EPA requirements, but we now have another revenue stream into the business that, and, and now we're saying, geez, what else can we do there? You know, what other waste material or waste products do we have that we could possibly do something similar with? So you turn the scrubber into an investment. Exactly. And, and that investment may never fully pay back but you had to put it in place anyway. anyway that was a right. requirement. Right? Right. That was our proverbial ticket to play. We had to go ahead and do that. But to think, to have the foresight to say, well, I want to offset some of those costs and I want to be able to sell that product and, and continue my reputation as a recycler, that, yeah. that takes some interesting thought. Interesting. Now, I bring this up. Because this is a 50-plus-year-old company that has been very successful. And, and to its point, sometimes a victim of its own success because nothing has changed in 45 years in that company. <laughs> no process has changed. No equipment changes. Nothing like that because we've been very successful the way we do it. Yeah, right. Now, all of a sudden, you know, we're asking people to change technology and, and we've got some new investments that we're going to be making into the company. The, the owners are very gracious about investing back into the organization and, and basically we're, we're investing for the next 15 to 20 years and, and, and making technology changes and so forth. A lot more automation, less reliance yeah. on people. Yeah. So when you bring people into a room and you say, we're going to make this change, the first response is a little bit of excitement, but then it's like, oh, what does this mean for me? Right. What does this mean for my job? Am I going to have to start doing my job differently? Right. Am I going to have to start using different technology, different software, uh, and immediately start to paint the worst case scenario picture? True. Mind, common. Right? That's common. True. Very much so. So. Part, part of our job, I think, as senior leadership then is let them get through that process. Let the, It's almost like a grieving process. There's shock. Uh, there's disbelief. The six stages. There's anger. <laughs> All Denial. they come to acceptance. Exactly. Uh, but, but once they reach that point of acceptance, you know, I always feel part of my job is then 
kind of coming around behind and just sitting down with individuals or even departments or groups of individuals and saying, okay, now let's talk about your specific situation. Let's talk about what needs to change. Let's get very specific. Let's get very laser focused. We're not talking wholesale change. We, we are talking, you know, yeah. A and B or, or X and Y uh, or X, Y, and Z now. Let's start putting the plans in place. What needs to happen here? And you start engaging them in the process. And, and that's when you start to see that, that aha moment or, you know, okay, I, I can get on board with this. This isn't as bad as I thought it was going to be. Well, let, let's go, let me ask you, you, let's go back to something you mentioned before and I'll ask you now. You mentioned motivation. So when you're in that conversation with somebody after they've gone through the, the Kubler-Ross six stages and they're ready to have a conversation, what did you see, any, anybody could have any particular motivation, but categorically, what few motivations did you see that you were able to align with and align them with for the business objectives? Get on the same you know, page. I, yeah, absolutely. I, I think it starts with the fundamental understanding that we are all human beings and we're all selfish. And so we're all asking, what does this mean to me? So one of my first questions is, what are you afraid of? Mm -hmm. What personal fears do you have? Mm -hmm. and, and let's get those on the table. Some people are, are, are job scared in terms of, well, does that mean my position is going away? Sure. They're, they're thinking about their families. Sure. They're thinking about their livelihoods. Uh, to me, that's always seems to be the number Very one basic level of a Maslow's hierarchy, right? It's, it, it's going to exactly. could it hit me there? Yes. So those fundamentals, once, once you get that out of the way and they realize, oh, I'm going to have a job. Okay, now step number two, how is my job going to change or the expectations going to be different? Am I going to be able to change with it? Mm -hmm. That's when you can really start having meaningful conversations of individual change and whether it's personal or professional change that they need to make. Do, do they need to go back to school? Do they need to learn software? Do they need to learn a new system of managing? Yes, it's going to be different from what you've done before, but here's specifically how. And, and now is my favorite part of my job. Is <laughs> I, I think you can do this. Yeah. And let me, let, me, let, me, let me motivate you a little bit with how we're going to do it or some ideas that we're going to do. And they will take that and run with it. And well, let me ask they, you. They say, ownership on that point i don't know the business your business at all or your business of hr and health and safety and risk management or the company's business but i'm gonna bet things i don't want to lose that even a guy who's been doing something one way for 45 years and you're having a conversation where things are going to change and there will be some new technologies or new processes or new something there's value in what he knows or she value on what they know that they can apply to what is it coming. So it isn't as if they're real, we really don't need people to repair buggies anymore. It, it's not like that's gone. You've got knowledge and that, that you can apply to what we're going to do next that has value. Now that's got to make somebody feel better and motivated too. But I'm asking you to tell me if that's not right or tell me if, it, if, if that's, you see that happen. I, I think it varies. Okay. I, I happen to be in a part of the country where the unemployment is very low and and people normally go to one company and they stay there for 
25, 30, mm-hmm. 35. No, I've got, I've got 50 year employees oh, wow. in, okay. in my company at, at this point in time. They are vested. They don't want to change. They don't want to have to go anywhere else and start all over where, where you can go to other parts of the country and, and more urban settings, larger mm-hmm. cities where it's easy to not only maybe change jobs, but heck you could change careers right. if, you, if you wanted to. Right. So I, I think it's really a factor of, of where you are and what's available around you. So that, that environmental impact to me is, is really part and parcel to these conversations. But if you're sitting with so, me, Terry, you're sitting with me and I've been doing something for 30 years and I know it's going to change and I don't want to walk away from it, but I don't know how it's going to go. I don't know if I'm up for it. And you're being honest with me. Look, we might need to get you some training. We might, but isn't isn't it not also not the case that you could say to me, it isn't like I want to wipe the hard drive in your head clean and nothing you've ever done matters anymore. What you have, what you know about the company, what you know about processes, what you know about the shift, what you know about people, what you know continues on, maybe in a different configuration with new things. But you're telling me, don't despair. What you the, the, the knowledge and the experience you've built for three decades working here still has value. Yes, absolutely. And if people have spent that much time with you, they know things. Oh, they yeah. they know things that you that you don't maybe they wouldn't give them credit for knowing because you just can't be around something for that long and not absorb, you know, some of the the business oh, yeah. traits and those kinds of things. So yeah, there's absolute and, and we try to protect that knowledge wherever we can. Um, I was not a big believer in it before, but when I first went through transformation with, with the company that I referenced earlier, there was a whole communication that was tied back to basically tribalism Mm -hmm. and tribes would tell stories and those storytellers were responsible for passing the knowledge down from generation to generation. I wasn't much of a believer in that 20 years ago. But today, wow, I'm collecting stories. I'm passing stories along. I'm making sure somehow those those stories get passed along because it's important to the culture. And those people who have been there 20, 25, 30, 50 years, they're the source of mm-hmm. all of that. <laughs> they're the elders. All of that knowledge, <laughs> yeah. all of that story. Yes, they've, they've become the elders in the tribe. Yeah. And there's, there's something to it. And that's why we celebrate them you know, when they hit milestones and that's why we celebrate them when they decide to leave our organization. It's, it's not just the time that they put in, but it's, it's the values that they've brought and and the knowledge that they've allowed us to share down along the way. So I've I've become a big fan of storytelling and, and, and capturing those types of stories and knowledge to pass along. Well, I know from, from discussions we've had before too, that, uh, I'm going to pick up on something you just said. People who know something really deeply, right? And, and, and there's a phrase, they develop an unconscious competence about it. It isn't something that they, it is, it's in their DNA at some point. Don't have to think about it. They just know they have information about operations that executives might never think to ask, but might have a bearing on margin, might have a bearing on safety, might have a bearing on supply, chain, uh, timing of things, delivery of things, right? It might have a bearing on something. It's, it's just what these guys have done forever, so they know it. And if, you, if you're at a distance from it, or if you didn't come out of that place, you might not think to ask. If you have yeah. the right conversation with those folks, 
it's almost like they say, well, why don't you just ask me? <laughs> exactly. I'll tell you something that I've started doing since last September, usually one or two Sundays a month. I'll, I'll go into the office early and I will dress out in my finest work blues, my respirator, <clears throat> my hard hat, and I'll just go walk the floor. Mm-hmm. And in each of the departments and, you know, I'll stop in and say hello to people and just ask them how they're doing, what they're doing, you know, what's important to them, what are they working on, those kinds of things. And and part of my motivation are these stories and, and the knowledge and and, and I'll, I'll jot some notes or, or take some notes. But you know what I find, Lou, it's it's talking to them on their turf and they are in their comfort zone. Yeah. I'm out of mine. Yeah. Uh, if I think if I brought them into my office or I brought them into a conference room, the conversations would not be, be different. the same. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, or, or no, nor is free-flowing. They are in their comfort zone. And to your point, when you ask somebody about their job, they want to tell you. They want to brag on what they do. They're proud. Most people are proud of what they do. Yeah, yeah. You just, you just got to kind of be determined to dig in and – be prepared to go out and meet them on on their turf. Yeah, well, I know I know that some of how you turned around safety practices on the shop floor some years ago was because you went down and talked to the guys and said, "Why aren't you wearing those goggles? Why aren't you wearing those gloves?" And it wasn't that they didn't want to be safe. It was that I, mean, I recall. You correct me if I forget mis- misremember this. It was that maybe it slowed them down, or maybe it actually impeded vision. So if it impeded vision, there's a perceptual thing, and maybe the guy say to myself, I feel less safe. I know they're protecting my eyes, but I feel less safe if I can't see at the periphery. Or if something slowed them down and they're being compensated on per piece or per unit basis, per some increment of time, per hour, per shift, there's a reward system in place to crank out units. And if they get slowed down, they're always going to say, I can keep my hands safe. I can keep my fingers safe. I can keep my fingers on. I want to get the production. Right. That's that rationale that we tell ourselves. So you learn things by talking to them that then you incorporated into. They sort of led some of the safety practices because they told you what would work and what wouldn't work. Yeah, absolutely. I think that one telling somebody that they have to do something is only half of the, the ratio. The, the other half of that equation is they, under, they understand the why. Mm-hmm. There are competing priorities in a, in a lot of manufacturing jobs that you just mentioned. Yeah, 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 you're right. Right. Sa- safety. I want you to work safe, but I also want you to get this X number of parts out the door. Yeah. And oh, by the way, I'm going to pay you per piece to do that. Right. Uh, oh, you know, I'm sorry. You're going to have to you're going to have to get creative uh, if I put these artificial governors in place that's where the value of those conversations become. And that's where, especially by having, you know, a a little bit of the ability to manage both the incentive, but also the, the, the safety component and making sure that those become complementary and not competing priorities. Well, you showed that more safety was more, was more productive. It it was across the grand scheme, right? The safest way is always going to be the best way because if we have an incident, we have an injury, we're going to shut it down. We're going to investigate it. You're not going to make your numbers for that day or that week or that month because we're putting this pause, Mm -hmm. you know, into place. Mm -hmm. 
And uh, yeah, so they they realize there's a just a a, a slower, steadier pace is is better than you know breakneck speed yeah. with with no no curbing, yeah. right? Yeah. No no accountability yeah. to go along with it. Well, Terry, time always flies when when I talk to you. We've covered a lot of things. Great conversation like we do. Was there anything else that you wanted to cover? Well, for whatever reason, my my new terminology of, of managerial courage is, mm-hmm. is an area that I'm kind of focusing on a little bit. You know, management having the courtes- uh, the courage to throw out an audacious goal mm-hmm. and, and not being afraid that it's going to be laughed, you know, out of the boardroom, you know, and, and a couple people come like, why not me? And why not this? And why can't we accomplish that? So, you know, having the courage to bring those concepts up has kind of become a new new focal point for me. But, we, you know, we talked about commitment. We talked about communications. We talked about accountability. I talked a little bit about those small successes leading to larger successes. So, no, I feel like uh, I feel like we've hit on a lot. I did hear you mention the managerial courage a few times. And then now I just jotted down a couple of things you said that I think are really important for changing conversations. What if? Or why not? Yeah. Or um, you didn't say this, but what I've heard you do sometimes, I, the way I think of some things I've heard you say is you were figuring out ways to, so there's always trade-offs in things that we do. You were figuring out ways to help people achieve an upside to change, an upside to something, while protecting against the downside. The downside might have been personal. Will I lose my job? The downside might have been um, a misunderstanding they had about what it would do to productivity or what it would do to costs, right? So you were you were giving people a, a sometimes I thought a solid place to stand on that maybe they didn't think was so solid. Well, they reached for that thing that that the maybe the boss said, "Let's try to accomplish this." Tell me how, and in the in the conversations about how. It seemed like there were a lot of roadblocks or hurdles or what would go wrong, and and you reframed it some sometimes to say, what if we think of it this way? Is this reasonable? Would this work? Think of it like this. Um, remove an assumption here. Test an assumption. Remove it. Remove the biases. We all have biases. Our brains work that way. Clear those up so people are going, okay, now if that's how we run that shift or if that's how we run that equipment or if that's how we, hey, then somebody might say not to you because maybe someone says to a foreman, hey, can we change the way we're receiving some things? Can we change locations where we put some things, right? Then they get in, they get creative with problem solving. Yes. Because they're connecting the puzzle pieces or the dominoes, means and ends, means and ends, means and ends. And they're figuring out if we do some, if we make some changes that nobody was thinking of, Actually, we could accomplish what we're being asked to accomplish. Yeah, that that to me is those incremental changes, continuous improvement. Yeah. That you want that front line. I I I personally want them to own that. Yeah, right. I, I think that is the ta- that that should become part and parcel to the tactical applications that they're used to doing every single day, and then leave the larger strategical mindset. You know, the what factoring in competitive landscape, financial landscape, right. uh, political right. landscape, et cetera. That. Yeah. And now, yeah. And now start to think about, okay, what, what's the art of the possible? 
Well, some people use you know blue yeah, ocean yeah, uh, yeah, approach. Yeah. So that that to me that's that's where I want to spend a lot more of my time. And I've got a select group of of folks, some of which are senior managers and some of which are middle managers. But when I've got these ideas, I will bring three or four people together and we'll just sit. Normally every Friday morning at nine a.m., I will have the same group of people in my office. They've got their coffee, they got their biscuits, and we just sit and talk, talk about what's possible. That's cool. And and to your point, people will always shoot down the concepts. Well, that's not possible. Why? That's not possible. Why? That won't work. This won't work. But we start to peel those layers away right. and say, how are we going to make it work? What right. needs to happen in order for it to be successful? When you start thinking that way, you'd be surprised that yeah. nothing is impossible it opens up yeah it, it really does because you you just remove the excuses I, to, to me it's just excuses it's just noise if if you have that laser focus you have that determination that napoleon hill talked about in think and grow rich there are no excuses there is no bridge back it, it is yeah. only moving the organization and moving it forward. You know, under a different set of circumstances, those might have been legitimate. There could be excuses today. Under under circumstances, maybe a year ago, 10 years ago, there might have been a legitimate reason why the answer, there might have been a valid reason why that was the. Mm-hmm. So if what you're hearing that today and it's maybe time to challenge that, you've probably seen this happen. If, if someone says we can't because, and you're going to say, well, what if sometimes management's got to come in to remove some barriers to make some changes that, that the guys on the shop floor could say, well, if, if, if you could change our schedules or the incentive a, a, a package or if you could do something from your on your side of this equation, I use that phrase before I like that, then that would enable us to do some things that we have thought we couldn't do. Right. And there's a there's a like a dance there between leadership and, and the guys that are doing the work to get it done. There is somebody that I use as an example, and I'm certainly not bringing his name up to offend anybody because I find him to be a very polarizing person. <laughs> but 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 if you look at what Elon Musk has done in terms of automotive and space travel, I'm just going to limit it to just those two things. Yes, there was always talk for at least the last 20 or 30 years about electric vehicles, Mm -hmm. but for somebody to commercialize it and and basically make a successful business out of it took somebody to say, I'm not accepting the excuses. I'm not accepting the rationale. We need to look at this differently. Right. To not just say, I'm going to let a rocket drop into the ocean, but instead I'm going to land it on a, a ship because I want to reuse that again because it's it's costly and, and inefficient to do it another way. And, and the only answer is this is how it's going to work and I'm going to fund it until we get to that point. That, that to me is somebody that is very cool. committed to their cause. Well, it's a good point and we could end on that. And here's the thought you made me think, which is I remember, we both remember when we were kids, the early moon launches. Yes. And what those what those men and women at NASA were trying to do was figure out how to get human beings out there and back safely. And if they dropped that that um, capsule in the water, they left things in space. They dropped the capsule on the water. 
those were not the problems they were trying to solve at that time. (laughs) (laughs) They were trying to get human beings on a candle out into outer space and back safely. And they did. Yes. So, and and I was going to say, and, and think about there's, there's been plenty of movies now about, behind the scenes and and what it really took in the, yeah. the mathematical calculations yeah, yeah. Of it. But, right but you always hit on one one key word right safely yeah yeah right right they, right, they, right. they had to do, right it wasn't a matter of just putting them up there right. and leaving them up there they had to get up there do what they need to do and get, get back. back safely and so yeah there's there's for i, I just like to bring it full circle that <laughs> sa- safety is never far uh, from no, what we're no, really right. trying to accomplish but right. i like your point too because now today elon musk is saying okay we got that part we know how to do that now let's do more yes let's keep and, and let's reuse parts let's land on it sh- yeah, yeah yeah how do we how do we keep pushing the envelope how do we become more efficient in in doing that and therefore make it less costly and, you know, if somebody's going to commercialize space travel, there's no doubt in my mind that's going to be the guy to do it. Why not us? Right. Uh, yeah, I, exactly I had a, right. I made a note to myself as we were talking. I would just mention this to you. You, Along with managerial courage, I wonder if there's a complementary concept. I think with managerial courage, you're thinking more senior, right? Yeah. Or or it could be it could be lower level. But that's yeah, what I was what gonna, seeing. Yeah. It's yeah. I've seen it mostly from senior because the senior management is the one that's going to probably take you in a different direction that you had not thought about. Well, I know you've I know that you have worked with so many men and women from the shop floor to the boardroom. It might be worth thinking about the courage that a team lead at that level needs to have. Right. Like a managerial courage of a team lead to say to bring something up because there's courage it takes to do that because you 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 might feel like you're at, at risk for something but hey terrier hey or hey boss team and i've been discussing this idea i want to i want to brief you on it right there's some courage it takes to do that yes you know that um we recently instituted training within industry and i think you and i had had this conversation before training within industry was was developed back in world war ii and it was as companies were going from, you know, making um, milk chugs to making bullets or, or from making cars to making tanks. The government had a very prudent way that they wanted them to make those adjustments and make those changes. Mm-hmm. And so they identified, you know, certain methodologies and, and safety and communications and training were all a part of it. Part of it with them was also continuous improvement mm-hmm. and, and that continuous improvement was in the form of suggestions and, and the old suggestion boxes. <laughs> um, when, when we do that training now, we ask them at, at the end of it, based on all your learnings, we want you to make one suggestion for change and then vote on it amongst your team. And then we want a full blown presentation. Wow. Out of it. That's cool. Lou, we, we have somewhere in the neighborhood of over 300 projects that we are, you know, in various states of implementing and doing wow. that are all just continuous. Hey, put this door here instead of over here. It's going to save me 25 steps. Yeah. Hey, you know, you know put, put this, relocate this, uh, change this. Uh, things, to your point earlier on, that nobody would have thought yeah. of. Uh, until you ask them yeah and then at that point in time yeah. they're all showing that courage that's cool um, to, to bring those suggestions up and to ask you know the company to fund their plan and fund their project 
Well, that that shows commitment from the top and the bottom. That's awesome. Yeah, it's 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 been fantastic. Wow. Well, let's end on that note. That's a, I love that. That's the high note. Man, I always enjoy our conversations. Thanks, Terry. Uh, Lou, thank you so much. I, I've really enjoyed our conversation as well. And uh, man, just let me know. I'll be welcome to come back anytime. I always enjoy talking to you and, and learn a lot. I made a lot of notes here. Things I could steal. Thank you. I'm, I'm glad that was. Uh, <laughs> I'm glad it was beneficial for you. Uh, I, I hope you're able to commercialize it. So. But uh, th- thank you so much for having me and for even asking me. I'm, I'm humbled Absolutely. by your ask. Thank, thank you, sir. Thank you, my friend. I appreciate it. All right, have a good one. Thank you. You too. Thanks, Terry. Bye bye. And that's how we see it, my friends. I want to thank Terry for recording today's episode. You can find it at iseewhatyoumean.castos.com plus all the usual places. Send questions and suggestions through an app. Subscribe and give me a five-star rating unless you can't, in which case, tell me why. And join me next week when we take another look at how to get on the same page and stay there, unless we shouldn't.